You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Fay, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout your Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly, heart-stumping, mic-drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Frank Delella is one of New York's most beloved theater reporters and broadcasters. He is the host of On Stage on Spectrum News, New York One. Frank won an Emmy Award for Best News Magazine Program for his special on the musical Come From Away. He's interviewed everyone. And this is just a very, very tiny, tiny sampling of who he's interviewed. James Earl Jones, Lady Gaga, Vanessa Redgrave, Bono, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Jane Fonda, Andrew Lloyd Webber, and on and on and on and on. And most recently, Frank is playing himself as a theater reporter in the Netflix film The Prom, getting his close-up opposite Meryl Streep. Hello, Frank! Hey, Gerald. How are you? Thanks for having me on your podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for being here. How are you doing these days? How are you staying sane and creatively nourished these days? I'm I'm staying sane. I'm actually about to move. I just bought an apartment. So that is, I don't know if it's keeping me sane. It's definitely keeping me busy. Um, so that is, a, you know, uh, moving during a pandemic, I don't, uh, I don't know if that was the best choice, but I'm doing it and, um, it's keeping me busy. So well, congratulations. <laughs> what, do you, Thank you. Where, are, are you changing neighborhoods? Are you? Nope. Staying, um, I'm a resident of the Upper West Side, staying in the neighborhood. I love oh, no. it up here and, yeah. um, here it's too. not that far from Broadway. So, uh. Once Broadway is back up and running, you know, we'll be seeing each other in the theater district more often than not. Yeah, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Fingers crossed. Let's talk about your lightning strikes moment when you or moments when you knew you had to be an artist, when you knew this was the path for you. Um, Well, I think we have to go. a little back um, to when I was, you know, six, seven years old, when my mom introduced me to the art form that is theater. Um, in that first experience uh, in Philadelphia, that's right. Yeah. The, the first experience was seeing Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, the national tour at the Forest Theater, and I remember not wanting to leave the theater after the show was over. My mom and sister, we had to go, but I did not want to leave. I just. <laughs> I just knew then and there, you know, I I know this sounds cliche, but walking into a theater, um, you know, is a very religious experience for me. You know, that moment walking in and this sense of wonder that uh, I felt, you know, looking up and seeing the chandelier and seeing the curtain and seeing the stage, you know, this was a temple. This was a mecca this was a special place and um that feeling that i felt when i was a kid and obviously i was six i didn't really know what i was feeling but um now putting it in words as an adult 
that was a special place. And um, still to this day, whenever I walk into a theater, that is my church. That is my temple, you know? It's beautiful. I know it's the, I, I think about that moment also when the, in the musical, especially when the orchestra plays its first notes in that yeah. overture. And it's like, my heart just starts to flutter. And it's almost mm-hmm. as if you're, it's the first time. What was it about the performance? Is there something you remember? I love that the, even the, the, the visceral feeling of walking into a theater you, um, ignited yeah. you. But was there something about that performance? I mean, for a six-year-old, again, <laughs> seeing cats, um, and and cats will forever have a special place in my heart. I know it's you know you either love or you hate cats, but um, just you know the overture and being able to see into the orchestra pit, like what what was happening, what was making you know all these folks come together and folks who didn't look like folks who look like cats with this crazy ass makeup on, these crazy ass costumes this was all becoming a thing in that moment in time. And and for those two and a half hours. And I think that was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a little operation. This is a little, you know, company that is putting on a show and making something out of nothing. And I think that was like, just, uh, again, wonder is the word that comes, you know, to the tip of of my tongue. It's like, what is this? I, it was just, and I wanted to learn more and I, I wanted to know more about this world that is being created in, in the theater. And then, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I remember seeing at the time, you know, I think the tour of Into the Woods was happening and Fiddler on the Roof was touring. And so like seeing these commercials on the screen again at the Forest Theater, you know, call this number for tickets. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, so there's more of this. There's more of what I just saw and these worlds that have been created. Let's, let's find out about them. So. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I love that you started out being an actor, right? That you, that was. Well, <laughs> yeah, um, I did a lot of high school theater. I did a lot of grade school theater. I did a lot of community theater and I moved to New York like many do wanting to be an actor. I attended Fordham university at Lincoln center um, where I started in the theater program and took, you know, the, the acting requirements, acting one, acting two, and scene shop and all that kind of stuff. But I have to be perfectly honest with you, Gerald. There were a lot of talented kids in my class. It was Fordham's theater program is excellent, and it's a rather small program. And in my class in my particular year, um, I was in the same class with Taylor Schilling, um, my buddy Van Hughes, who went on to do a ton of stuff on Broadway, my friend Kate Chadwick, who's done a lot of stuff uh, in theater and on TV, um, Kelly Curran, who does a lot of stuff with um, Classic Stage Company in Bedlam. She's on The Gilded Age, the new TV show. Um, so, like, it was a very talented bunch. And I realized early on in my college career that if I was going to survive in New York City, which has always felt like home for me, you know, my mom took me to New York when I was a kid. And I just I never wanted to leave New York once I got here. Um, And if I knew I was going to stay in New York, I knew a I had to figure out a way to make money. And also um, that meant not being an actor because there are a lot of other talented folks out there. So I found the world of broadcast journalism and never looked back. So let's unpack that a bit about your acting. 
that how sure. I love that that led you, you know, in, in, into this pivot. But can, can you talk about some memorable roles? Because you said you did community theater, you did high school theater. Are there roles that you remember doing? You think, oh, I love that. Well, of course. I mean, um, you know, I, I, my freshman year of high school, I played Jack in Into the Woods. And, you know, obviously, as a Sondheim fanatic, that was a thrill to get to dig into the world of Sondheim and Lapines Into the Woods. Um, the senior year of my senior year of high school, I did, we did The Secret Garden. And um, I got to play Dick in the role John Cameron Mitchell made famous on stage. And actually in that show, um, my dear friend, Elise Allen Lewis, uh, played Mary. She was a freshman and she played Mary Lennox and she has since gone on to have a very successful career in the theater here in New York. She, um, was Sophie and Mamma Mia on Broadway with Beth Level, but most recently she played Hillary Clinton in Soft Power. Um, very talented actress who we obviously grew up together and uh, go way back. So, you know, there, during my quote unquote theater career, Gerald, um, I've been, I've been lucky enough to kind of interact and um, be around some very talented folks. Again, folks who are a lot more talented in that department than I am, but um, it was, it was a fun, fun tour, if you will, while it lasted. I, I see. And, and what's so cool is that here you took that passion and you found a way to still very much live it, be part of it, swimming in it, in, in this other way, creating mm-hmm. your own art. And I love that you were an intern first at, in, at New York One. Um, can you talk about that, how you became an intern at Spectrum News New York One? Sure. Well, we'll go back again a little bit. So, yes. so sophomore sophomore year, um, I started taking an intro to journalism class, or I took an intro to media studies class. And my professor at the time um, said that if you really want to, if he first asked the class, how many of you want to, or think you want to be uh, news reporters? And some people raised their hands. And he said, if you do, you know, you are probably going to have to move to the middle of nowhere at a very um, small market. And, you know, you start from the middle of nowhere and then you work your way back up to the bigger markets like the New York cities and the LA's and the Philadelphia's and the Chicago's. Um, But he said, if you really want to stay here, go get an internship in New York one. And if they accept you, you know, you will be able to experience you know, the world of broadcasts, get your hands on editing and producing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you're lucky enough, you can stay here. So that summer, I was like, you know what, I am switching my major to journalism, I got to think of a plan B. And I was actually I auditioned for the gallery players production of hair. Now it was I think, um, you would get equity points by doing it, it was, you know, semi professional, uh, this theater in Brooklyn, and I got a couple callbacks for the role of Claude. Now, at that same time, I had applied for the internship at New York One. And I said to myself, God, I'm putting it into your hands or I'm putting it into and you know the world's hands, if you will. If I get hair, I will continue to pursue acting. If I get New York One, I will switch majors and 100% go into journalism. 
did not get hair. I got New York one and the rest is history. On my first day, I was put in with the theater and entertainment unit, which of course produced on stage. And the reporter who had the theater beat before me um, was not there. And my boss at the time said to me, you know, we need some interviews done at the culture project downtown. Um, I'm going to send you out with a camera guy, go and get some interviews. And as soon as that, that microphone hit my hand and I was doing the interviews down the culture project, I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I'm not leaving. This is so cool. I'm covering theater (laughs) in New York city for a news station. And that is my main purpose for the day. Like, this is amazing. This is this is my dream job. Not to mention, you know, Gerald, I was one of those weird kids. So I did theater uh, growing up. And of course, you know, I'm so speaking of the prom and fast forwarding quickly to Ryan Murphy, you know, I think he's done an amazing job with Glee and the shows that he's brought to, you know, the masses, because back in the day, doing the shows at school, um, or being a part of the performing arts was not cool. Like I had to hide that as a young kid growing up in Philadelphia. You know, it wasn't cool to talk about listening to show tunes. It wasn't cool to talk about taking dance classes and all that kind of stuff. Like I had to hide that. And, you know, that's a whole other story. But, um, you know, getting to experience, you know, covering theater for the news, because as a kid I did shows, but I was also my other passion was like news programs like 2020 and Dantland NBC and America's Most Wanted. Like I would like long form news magazine programs. I was obsessed with like, that's what I would sit down and watch theater stuff like the Sondheim musicals and these news programs. And so I felt like, Oh my gosh, this is the perfect blend of these two worlds. What a beautiful marriage. I, I didn't realize you were a news geek growing up. That's so I was. Crazy. And I cannot believe that, I mean, like that they gave you that opportunity. Your very first day as an yeah. intern, you were interviewing. What yeah. was, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that, that is the beauty of New York one. It's like, you know, you show, you show the effort you put in the time and, um, you show that you know what you're talking about and you know that there is that trust there and also um, it, it truly is amazing you know in a way New York one was my graduate degree or my I got my master's in journalism through my experiences at New York one I've been there since 2004 and have never left I've done things here and there on the side but uh, for the most part, I really did grow up at the station. So how did you get to be host of On Stage? How did that trajectory happen? So, um, you know, I was a reporter for, well, you know, I, I started out as a producer. The stage and strike happened in 2007. And um, I broke the news that the strike was on uh, in the fall of 07. And I broke the news that the strike was officially over. So that was a whole crazy scenario and situation in terms of, you know, just kind of making things happen and just covering the news day in, day out, living, sleeping, breathing in a news truck. It was pretty extraordinary, that whole experience. And when that happened, when the stroke was officially over, my news director at the time said to me, she was like, obviously, you know, this beat, you have incredible 
contacts in this industry. Um, we're going to promote you to producer of the onstage unit, the living unit. And so they, um, they promoted me and I produced for a very long time and would just kind of go out and shoot stories and do all that good stuff. I would, would not track them or present them, but I would, you know, produce them. And then in 2009, the fall of 2009, uh, the company of hair, uh, took off from their matinee performance on a Sunday and the Saturday night before they went down to March for equality in DC with a bunch of Broadway folks. And, uh, my, a friend of mine, he was working on the production at the time said, why don't you come with us, take the bus with us. We'll put you up in DC and we'll just kind of like, let you tell that story from, the angle of being with the cast. And so I did. And it was, you know, a historic moment for our country. It was just so cool to be down there with folks like Audra McDonald and Gavin Creel and Cynthia Nixon and Stephen Schwartz and Lady Gaga and all these amazing people, you know, as they, you know, express their, their, their voice and vision for a more equal United States of America. And, I was there during that whole ride and I came back and my news director said, there's no way that, you know, we're going to have someone else report this story. You experienced it. So we're going to put you on air for this. And then that, you know, I was reporting nonstop up until 2016. And then in 2017, I got the opportunity to take over as host of on stage. And there was a whole idea to kind of revamp the program. And part of that was bringing me on board as host and, the rest is history. It was pretty, um, it was pretty fast and furious. And, you know, those early days of kind of revamping the show and making it more, making it more of a show where you're not just talking about theater, you're experiencing theater. And I'm taking you on that ride and on that journey and behind the scenes, uh, was pretty crazy at the beginning to kind of like figure all that out. But, um, it's been a joy. It's been a joy of a process ever since it's been just so much fun getting to tell these stories every weekend. I love how you do these deep dive into shows like let work or come from away. How do you determine? Cause you know, when you think about the typical theater season and the multitudes of shows, how do you decide, Oh, this is the one you know, I want to spotlight because you've done everything from Frozen to, you know, I, you cover so much, so many varieties of shows. How do you well, do I, I think, you know, you know this too, as a journalist, it's like, you know, what are the good stories to be told? Like, what's a great story to be told? And, you know, I think for, for instance, when we did our big Angels in America episode, um, you know, first and foremost, making sure we have an incredible cast to help tell this story of this epic piece of theater. So when the revival happened, it was, you know, Nathan Lane, Andrew Garfield, um, and so on. So making sure we had access to these folks, making sure we had access to Tony Kushner, but then also like, how does it relate back to New York City? Because at our core with New York One, we're a station that celebrates New York City. Um, we are part of the city. We're built into the fabric of the city. So, you know, for the AIDS pandemic, when AIDS was and still is obviously, you know, a major issue for the world, but when New York City was ground zero, I mean, 
things things were bad here. And so, you know, kind of visiting sites like we we I remember shooting um, a portion of that episode at the AIDS Memorial, which was, you know, to be there and be across the street from St. Vincent's. Um, you know, it was kind of like a full circle moment with telling the story of angels in America, but then also bringing back to, you know, the city and Roy Cohn and all, all these fascinating characters. But then also with that, a major character in the episode was New York city. So, um, it's all about the story. It's all about the story. For me as a journalist, I love the blank page that when somebody said, when an editor says, okay, cover, um, Hamilton or, uh, Kelly O'Hara or a person, or there's something joyful about getting that first assignment, that assignment, and then figuring out, okay, what is the story? And then crafting that. What, what's the joy for you of crafting a story of creating a story? I, I, you know, it's the first thing that comes to mind is like that moment in Sunday in the park with George, where George says <gasps> white, white, you know, <sighs> a, a, a blank canvas, if you will. Yeah. Um, that That's exactly it. It's like, you know, the world is yours. The world is your oyster. Figure it out and, and go from there. For me, you know, I'm such a theater nerd. So like you mentioned folks like Kelly O'Hara and, you know, the greats, you know, whether it's the Elaine Stritches or the Liza Minnelli's or, you know, Harvey Firestein, folks like that, these colorful characters where I can dig into, you know, worlds past, roles past for them um, and and crafting something that, you know, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole with, with this answer because I'm so excited. But I, I think in terms of the story in and of itself and what to present, it's like, what can I tell that's different that people don't know or that's not out there yet? How can I, how can I craft this story to, to kind of provide the essentials, to provide the important information, but also kind of tell people something new and have them go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, I always try and think of angles like that when I'm, when I'm presenting stories and telling stories and writing stories. So can you share some of those moments where you thought, oh my God, I've learned, I've changed as a human or this is, tra- I mean, it doesn't have to be that dramatic, but oh my God, I cannot believe I got to be privy to that. Now you're putting me on yeah. the spot. Let's see. Well, <laughs> you know, let, 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 let's go back to, um, you know, you mentioned Come From Away. Uh, we did a special on that. And I think, you know, when we decided to do the special, the show was brand new in New York City. So it was, you know, it had just opened when we did that special. So telling the backstory of that and getting the folks from Gander who are still here to kind of put that story that they experienced that is now being seen on stage eight times a week in their own words was, you know, like one of that project alone was one of the most incredible experiences that I've had in my career thus far. But um, getting to tell that story, you know, I, I, I got a ton of phone calls and a ton of emails and texts after that episode aired saying, Oh my God, Frank, I didn't know, like, I didn't know it was based on like 
these folks' lives. Like I, I knew it was based on some truth, but like, this is crazy. And like hearing, you know, the dialogue that is now used in the show that, you know, came from their mouths, like people, people were amazed by, and, um, I guess that's that's an example. I hope that works. That's <laughs> beautiful. Or yeah, I love that show. Just I could see this a thousand times because it's all about the residents of Newfoundland took in these strangers who were stranded during nine yeah. eleven, and it's just a magnificent story. I love that you told that story. Well, I and I love. You talked about um, Elaine Stritch. You described a bit of Elaine Stritch, how she would just call you up and say, let's chat. And then you had, you interviewed her at the very end of her life. And yeah, she, she was, she was an amazing woman. I, um, well, first and foremost, I always adored watching Elaine on stage and I got to meet her. I, I get to really connect with her in 2008 when I think she was doing, she brought at Liberty to the Carlisle. And um, as luck would have it, I showed up, I set up my camera. And that was, you know, I just moved over from the news department to on stage. So I was alone by myself. I was producing this piece and I set up my camera in the back of the Carlisle, started filming and um, it was done in two parts. I think she did an abbreviated version of At Liberty, but it was done in two parts. And at the quote unquote intermission part, she went back up to her room and I said to the press person at the time, um, I need to, I need to leave. I was like, I think I ate something earlier today and I do not feel well. And I like, I, I don't feel well at all and I need to leave. And he was like, well, you can't get Elaine until after the show. And I said, no, I'm not leaving this place until I get Elaine. So like, we need to make this happen. And he was like, well, let me go see. So he called me up and was like, all right, Elaine has agreed to do the interview with you, but you have to be quick. So I go up and at that point I was like, please like, don't let her know that I'm sick because I, you know, she's a performer. I don't want her to think that I'm like, you know, spreading germs or whatnot. Well, sure enough, she knew exactly why I was leaving. And she goes, stay, stay away from me, stay away from me. She was like, I'm going to hold your microphone. And I remember having a long cord and she was basically at the door. Like I walked in, set up my camera, like in the bedroom area. And she was like standing back all the way back by the door. So like, so, so, so far away from camera to microphone. And she held, she held the microphone and she was like, all right, what do you want to ask me? And I, you know, was asking her about her show. And then we wrapped the interview and she said, okay, Frank is not leaving here until he has orange juice, water. Let's get him an apple. Like she went down the line of like things that I toast, like I needed before I, I was like, Elaine, I, I'm totally fine. She goes, no, you're not. We're, we're going to make sure you have all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I just, I just want to leave. I just want to leave. She's like, no, you're, you're I got to take care of you. You got to make sure uh, that you're okay. So, I left. And then every year she would come back to the Carlisle and like clockwork. Every time she would do that, I would sit down with her. And then, you know, we just, I remember visiting her backstage. I got very friendly with her music director, Rob Bowman, who is still to this day, a very close friend of mine. And he would say, you know, Elaine's asking for you. When are you going to go see her? You know? So I, I remember uh, seeing her multiple times in night music when she went in with Bernadette Peters and a I'll never forget this one performance. I sat um, with Rob in the orchestra pit and just watched her and just, 
she was she was amazing like no one like her her line deliveries for things were just like it was a masterclass watching her she was she was so unpredictable and just so real you know she was like that's the best word to describe her real lane stretch was so real and that final interview i did with her her documentary was coming out and was the one that Alec Baldwin produced and, you know, they were trying to do some press. And at the time she was dying basically of cancer. And she came back to New York after moving out and she was in this apartment on the East side. And I remember getting a call saying, can you come and interview Elaine? She wants to do an interview with you. And I remember getting there and I was like, okay, so why don't we have her in this chair and I'll be in this chair. And they said, no, she's not getting out of bed. You're going to have to, get in bed with her and do the interview. And I was like, all right. So I did that. And um, yeah, it was just like, you know, it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm just going to ask as much as I can about, you know, uh, the, the incredible people that she knew and called her peers. And I remember asking her about JFK and Judy Garland and, you know, she, she, she saw it all, you know, and, and she, we, we stand on the shoulders of the Elaine stretches and folks like that who kind of, you know, paved the way for Broadway as we know it today. And just, you know, asking her about Sondheim and you know, uh, she was, she was just amazing. She was amazing. Yeah. I mean, as you say, she was so real. I mean, she didn't, I mean, that she just exposed herself quite yeah. literally that she didn't yes. wear sense. Yes. <laughs> yes. Those legs for days. Oh my god! But I think of her in that that seventies um, singing "Ladies Who Lunch" in that oh documentary. God. The documentary, yeah. And, and you see the struggle and the pain and trying to get it. And it, you're right. It's really it's was so magnificent seeing her, especially in at Liberty. Yeah. And then you have a beautiful story about Liza Minnelli, right? Early on in your career. Oh my gosh. Well, um, I'll never forget. It was the weekend of my birthday. I actually think it was on my birthday and it was like, happy birthday to me. My assignment for today. And it was on a weekend too. It was a Sunday night. And um, I don't forget, Jared, like I love what I do and I love the world that I get to cover. Like, so, you know, I'm, very fortunate to say work is not work. It's, you know, it's a passion and I get paid to do what I love. So I remember it was a Sunday. Um, I wasn't supposed to be working, but I, I was called in because the person who was you know covering the beat could not make it. And so it was a benefit concert for um, victims of Hurricane Katrina. And it was Liza Minnelli and Ben Vereen who were hosting the benefit with everyone, you know, everyone from Adina Menzel, Cheyenne Jackson, um, you know, Wicked was still, it's still a hot show, but was, you know, still relatively new um, to the masses. So that was like the it show at the time. And so it was a benefit at the Gershwin and, we showed up and Liza and Ben were in a dressing room, in the star dressing room. And they asked me to go in to interview Liza and Nelly. I remember going in and she had like a crowd of people around her and um, she was sitting down and they had me come in. And I remember 
walking in with my camera person at the time and the door locked and like I heard the click and it was like, no one's coming in. So it's like, I'm locked in a room with Lasminelli, lucky me. And so I just, you know, started chatting with her. And the, the one thing that comes to mind is that, yes, she was, you know, all about raising money for the victims of the hurricane, but she kept saying over and over, but to kitty cats, to kitty cats, we've got to protect to kitty cats. Um, so like, I'll never get that out of my head. She kept talking about the kitty cats, the kitty cats, kitty cats. And so I finish the interview. And again, as a theater nerd, a performing arts geek growing up, one of my favorite VHSs that I had, my brother and I watched on repeat was Liza Live at Radio City. I knew every single word to that concert, which, which to this day is, you know, I think it's Liza in our prime. And, you know, so I just, the, the little fanboy in me was like going nuts. And so, you know, I finished the interview and she said, darling, do me a favor. And I was like, yes. She goes, do you, got, do you have a pen and paper? This was long before iPhones and Blackberries and all that good stuff. I said, yes, I do. And she said, write down my address. I was like, excuse me? She goes, write down my address. I was like, okay. So I, I was like, go please. And it was on the east side. I write, scri- scribble it down. My hand is shaking. She goes, darling, um, can you get me a copy of that interview and bring it to my apartment tomorrow? Bring it to me tomorrow. And I was like, Oh my God, Liza Minnelli wants me to bring my interview that I just did with her to her apartment. And so I like, I ran out of there on cloud nine. And of course I did interview with Dina and all these other people. So it was just like, Oh my gosh, the night's even getting better or the night's getting, uh, continues to get better. And um, the next day, of course, I was still in school at the time. I had class. I was like, this is absolutely an excuse to skip class. I must skip class. And this is the best excuse possible. Um, I remember walking with my um, disc man listening to Liza Minnelli on the way to her apartment from Lincoln Center, where I was living at the time, to the east side. And I, you know, I'm all proud of with my tape in hand and I walk in and I go up here to see Liza Minnelli and the doorman said, um, she's left for the day. Um, she'll be back tomorrow. And I was like, Oh God. Well, I ended up leaving it. I, I did not go back. I ended up leaving the tape for her, but, um, it was quite the experience. But just even the experience of walking there, listening in your in your disc master, disc master with her voice of, yeah. the, of the hope that you would have that Liza moment. And exactly. Talk about amazing moments. I love that you played yourself in the prom on Broadway in the film. Let's talk about that, how that came to be two brilliant leading ladies who you start opposite, both <laughs> Beth and Meryl. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, the great Dory Bernstein is always thinking outside the box and Dory and Bill Dimashki, who produced the prom on Broadway as well as um, were producers on the film, uh, they came up with this idea during the week when a lot of the Tony voters are in town um, in the spring every year, they were like, for one of our little fun things to do, why don't we put some journalists who are known in New York uh, in the prom on stage? And so I got a call and uh, 
the answer was, of course, yes. Um, uh, you know, that original company, Broadway company of the prom was second to none. Some of the, the greatest talents of our generation, Beth Level, Chris Sieber, Brooks Eschmanskis, and Angie Schwar, uh, truly, truly the best of the best when it comes to Broadway talent. Um, so I was in awe of them and a lot of them are friends. And, you know, so when the time came for me to take to the stage as myself, that overture is playing, then the curtain goes up and I'm the first line and I was shaking. I was shaking and I'm not one to get nervous to, to speak in front of people, but I, I don't know it. Maybe it was, it was the first line. Maybe, uh, it was, uh, you know, I had this grand intro, but my hands were shaking and Beth level, God bless her, held my hands, both of them. And she was like, we're going to do breathing exercises. Just follow my lead. And we, we took deep breaths in and out and in and out. And I have to say when that curtain went up, I was a lot more calm. So God bless Beth level. And then the way the film happened, um, Around that time when I did the cameo, right after that, I had um, Ryan Murphy and I had dinner together, and uh, you know he had told me about taking the prom from stage to screen. And he at dinner he made some you know joke or at least what I thought was a joke, saying, "And you know you, you I'll, I'll put you in the movie, you'll play yourself." I was like, "Oh yeah, right, Ryan, okay," <laughs> and. Um, you know, Ryan is a man of his word. He truly is because September rolled around, uh, you know, a couple months later and my manager, Pam got a note from Ryan's casting director saying we need Frank's availability for October, November and December. Uh, we're going to have him play the reporter in the prom movie. And I was like, <laughs> this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy, but sign me up. <laughs> And they flew you to LA, and, and they, flew, they, they flew me to LA. We sh- that was the, so we shot the opening scene the second day of shooting. I think they shot forty days for the prom, and uh, the opening scene was day two. Um, I had to be in LA for a week, and um, you know everything from you know my costume fitting at Paramount Studios, where you know Ryan Ryan has a, an amazing eye, and you know when you see his projects, when you see his films and TV shows, like the, the colors, the, the look of it all is just, the details are magnificent. And Ryan approves every single principal costume, or at least that's, that is what I was told. So when I arrived at Paramount studios to try on my tuxedo, I just thought it was going to be a tuxedo. No, I tried on about 10 tuxedos (laughs) and all different brands, all different types and the costume designer or the, the costume assistant designer's assistant said there, I, the, uh, the tuxedo I ended up wearing was a John Barbados tuxedo. And I, I put it on. I was like, Oh my gosh, I love this. And he said for all, cause they had to snap photos of me for Ryan to approve. He said for the one that you like, just smile in that and we'll see <laughs> what we can do. And sure enough, when I got to my trailer, that one was the one that was hanging, but um, they recreated Broadway on this empty lot in downtown LA. And I, when I got to set, I was like, holy shit. Like this is unbelievable. It was like, first off the detail was magnificent, but it was like Broadway 
on steroids. Like it was just, it was, it was incredible. And, you know, we, we shot, I think we started filming around five o'clock and I didn't get home that night till two in the morning. I mean, there was just a lot of moving parts, but, um, so much fun, just so much fun. And what was it like uh, acting opposite Meryl Streep? making your film debut was that your film debut no it wasn't my film debut i actually did um, another movie last year called the 40 year old version oh which which i um played myself which is actually it's a fabulous new york city film um by this incredible writer and director um and filmmaker rada blank and uh, there is a theater connection to it. And I play myself from on stage in it. And, um, you know, for folks listening, just, you know, not because of me, nothing because of me, but it's honestly a beautiful love letter to New York City. So it's worth checking out. It's It's been winning a lot of awards, won the big, won, won the big awards at Sundance last year and is now on Netflix. But um, And then when I was a kid uh, growing up in Philadelphia, M. Night Shyamalan actually went to the school that I went to. And one of his first films that he did, uh, you know, when he, quote unquote, uh, you know, starts to, you know, get the attention of Hollywood was a movie called Wide Awake that was set at the school that we both went to. And um, Rose O'Donnell was in it and Cameron Manheim and Dennis Leary and Dan Delaney were all in it. And, um, I was an extra in that, but, and if you watch it, you can actually see me in, um, a couple of the scenes. So this would, this would be my third movie, Gerald, okay. uh, but who's, but who's counting, uh, uh, but, but, but playing opposite Meryl Streep, my gosh, you know, I was nervous to do it on Broadway. Uh, this, I felt like there was even more at stake just because, there were hundreds of extras around, you know, there were, I, Ryan Murphy was directing me and Meryl Streep was my scene partner. So <laughs> I drilled those lines. Like I've never, you know, memorized anything ever before. I just, every single day. And I, you know, I didn't get the script until I landed in LA. It's very common that Ryan, Ryan doesn't email anything. He, um, everything is hand delivered. So my script arrived, I think day two, I was there. So I couldn't even prepare really that much in advance. It was just a couple days before. So I saw a friend of mine who's an actress out in LA. She coached me, my friend, Mike Doyle, who is uh, a well-known TV and um, film actor and also director and incredible director we FaceTimed every night and he, I would just be like, Mike, you're going to play me now. Like we're going to do this one-on-one. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He was Meryl. I was me. I made him be me just to kind of see how he would do it. And he was like, Frank, at the end of the day, you're playing yourself. So like the pressure is on, but also like take the weight off your shoulders. So it was it was thrilling. It was thrilling to sum it up. Why does why does Ryan only hand deliver? Is it a security issue? I think so. I think it's because you know, he, I mean, Gerald, he is Mister Hollywood. He is Mister Entertainment, and people are just craving you know his material. So it's it's I think it's for protection, so stories aren't leaked and you know spoilers aren't put out there. And can you talk about going back to 
you said when you were a kid, you just sort of hide your, your passion for theater. What was it like for you to be in this extraordinary musical that celebrates, you know, being who you are? What was that like for you? You know, that's, I think, if anything, the takeaway from this entire experience has been that I am a part, a very small part, I must say, because I'm, I, what Andrew Rannells and Meryl Streep and Keegan-Michael Key and James Corden and Kerry Washington and Nicole Kidman, what they do, and Joellen Pellman and Ariana DeBose, what they do on that screen is nothing compared to what I do or, or what they do. Like I, I, I'm nowhere near what they do is my point. However, um, to be a part of a project that promotes acceptance and inclusivity and tolerance, um, I, I couldn't be more proud. Like that's, that's it for me. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when those lights came up, um, when you were, on Broadway opposite Beth. What was that like for you when, you know, here you are going to theater on the other side of it your whole life and Mm. now you're on stage looking out at that audience. Is it hard to describe? It was, it was a thrill. I mean, it literally, um, it was a whirlwind to be honest with you. It kind of, you know, it, it happened and then it, it, it was over, you know what I mean? So, um, it was truly a whirlwind, but yeah, I mean the little, like, I still can't believe, you know, this little kid who grew up loving the theater and had posters all over my wall. And I remember, you know, when I was in grade school and high school, like looking at the names on the posters on the show cards thinking, Hmm, maybe one day I'll know someone who who works on Broadway. Maybe one day I'll, you know, a friend of mine will will get a Broadway show, maybe be in the chorus, or I'll have some kind of connection to the theater. Fast forward all these years later, like it's it just it's it's mind-boggling. And I I'm so grateful and uh, I'll continue to say this, you know, I I'm such a champion of the theater and what Broadway and this community is, it's second to none. And um, I will forever, you know, as long as I'm able to, uh, I will forever celebrate this community because it's so special. This is a community that stands up for, for each other. They stand up for those in need. Um, and I'm just grateful to be a small, small part of it. And I love the the 360 list of it that now you're a professor, right? That you teach now at for at your alma mater. Right. So Fordham University asked me at Lincoln Center asked me to uh, create a course called arts journalism, theater journalism, uh, back in 2013. So I, I taught from 2013 uh, through 2019. I actually um, I've taken some time off uh for um, some work stuff, so I'm I'm actually not teaching this semester, but I hope to 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 be back there soon enough. But you know, I've also just through that, you know, and interacting with the next generation of journalists, entertainment journalists, and people who will be part of the conversation or will go on to do other things, but you know, have this knowledge of this community. I I've, I've met some lifelong friends and um, 
incredible folks along the road. So, or along the, on along this journey. So I'm truly grateful for that as well. Where do you see yourself then? Is it hard to say like in five years, 10 years? I, you know, Gerald, I get asked this question all the time, as long as I can continue to tell stories and, you know, celebrate this community and be a part of the community. I'm going to be doing that. That's what I'm going to be doing for, for, for the rest of my life, truly. Well, Frank, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's always so great talking to you. And I miss bumping into you. I can't wait to, to see you again soon. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, just to see you at the theater and, um, you know, catch up, catch up uh, in the district, if you will. Yes, yes. Here's to catching up. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore, and the talent was booked by Anna Strauss. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.